Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. This is the third in a new series of the Minimalist Moms podcast. Going deeper episodes will be less structured with a more conversational tone. This week, I spoke with Sarah Hollingsworth of Populist about leaving her corporate job for a more intentional career. Sarah vulnerably shares all, the mental ups and downs, advice, starting over as a new mom, and more. Having had the opportunity to listen to this episode back as I was editing it, I truly do think that this episode is incredibly encouraging when it comes to women in the workplace or women that want to be entrepreneurs but don't know where to start, Uh, women that want to leave the workplace. Like I said in the intro, Sarah shares so vulnerably in this episode and it's something I appreciate about her as not only a woman but as a small business owner. And I can't wait for you to hear more. So let's go deeper with Sarah Hollingsworth of Populist. We're going to just do this. We're just hopping into it. Okay. So I want to have you here for a going deeper episode because we have chatted all about baby registries in the past. And then we did record back in the beginning of the year about how baby registries look different in the post-COVID generation, not generation, but era, whatever the word be, which I think is really curious, but then it seems like things are a lot different even now than at the beginning of the year. So I was like, Hey, why don't we just have you come back? We can talk about that, but I want to know more about you too. I think so often I have a guest come on and they can share about their business, which I want them to do, but also provide practical insight and wisdom for my listeners. Cause that's why my listeners are listening, but I think it's fun to know people better and what motivated them to either create their business or how they got there. I mean, I just really love that podcast, how I built this. If you're familiar with it. <laughs> I love that podcast too. I think I've listened to 90% of those episodes. Yeah, they're so good. And and again, maybe not everyone is as into that, the the before story as I am, but I think it is fun to bring some more authenticity to the women that I'm talking to. Yeah, I I love that approach. I I always find those episodes, you know, whatever podcast I'm listening to, always a little bit more interesting anyway. Um, because anyone can go online and read about the business. You can't really go online to read about me personally or where I come from or what I did before populist. I mean, so yeah, I, I love this approach. I think it sounds great. Yeah. And honestly, you were part of the reason that I decided I wanted to start figuring out again, I'm not positive what these going deeper episodes will look like and how they'll evolve over time. But I remember when you and I talked, we got into a really deep conversation after we had stopped recording and I'm like, Hey, this was actually even better than the conversation we just had because we were just ourselves. We didn't feel like we had to, it's not like you feel like you have to morph for an audience, but I don't know. There's something about that. Yeah, I think there's pressure when you are a business owner and you're talking about it. I definitely think there's pres- pressure to be polished and yeah. succinct and kind of serious in a way. Mm-hmm. So I know we should have never, we should have never stopped recording. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I do too. I do too. So, okay. 
today I do want to hear about Populist and why you started it, which you, you briefly went into it in our past episode, but I want to talk about that moment that you were like, the corporate world isn't for me. Tell me a little bit more about you and your past. Yeah. So, um, before Populist, I, I think the biggest part of my life that I don't get to share much is playing soccer. I was a soccer player for 17 years and all four years, division one, I went to school in Flagstaff, Arizona and moved to Texas in 2010. So ever since I graduated college, I've always been in an event capacity role. So my first job out of college was working for the San Antonio Spurs, which was so much fun. Like if you've ever been to a professional game, you know, there's like halftime entertainment, there's pregame entertainment, there's the national anthem singer. So all of those things that you saw on a field or the court is what I booked at the AT&T center for the San Antonio Spurs. And it was so much fun. So, you know, Rackspace was my first true career, which um, is a global IT company. And that's where I worked and became a mom. So I was at Rackspace for six years. Their headquarters is in San Antonio. Um, I led our trade show team. So all the events that we sponsored in North America, that was the team that I had the privilege of leading. So that was fun. There was a ton of travel. That job took me all over the world, Sydney, Berlin, London, and every pretty much major U.S. city you could think of. And so it was a blast. However, it wasn't very suitable for a mother. So you asked me, you know, when was the moment I knew corporate wasn't for me? Um, It was definitely when I came back from maternity leave after having Amelia. So I had three-month leave, which was amazing. Um, But, you know, it's so funny. I always see people post stuff on social media about like maternity leave is not vacation. And it's so true. I mean, it was the hardest three months of my entire life because you are discovering a new person, you as a parent, but then also trying to understand someone you've never met, which is obviously your new baby. Um, And then everything that comes along with it, you know, the trials and challenges of breastfeeding or pumping or producing breast milk in general sleep, which is basically irrelevant and, you know, wading through the newborn fog, but also trying to function as a normal human after a sleepless night. Um, So it was just so hard. And then two and a half months of being on maternity leave, I felt like I was slowly getting the hang of it. And then, you know, you look at the clock and you've got a couple of weeks left until you go back to work. And for me, I was like, oh my God, I have to put on normal clothes. Nothing fits me. I hate how I look, you know, this was my personal experience. So there was just so many things that were very stressful about maternity leave in general, but then also just thinking about going back to work. And when I got back to work, there were a lot of um, moms on my team. So I really appreciated being surrounded by people who were empathetic. One of my leaders, her kids were much older, like high school age. So not to say that she forgot what it's like to have newborns, but nothing changed. The expectations on how I was expected to perform and deliver did not change. If anything, they got harder. And then I still had to travel with a newborn baby. So my first trip out of the state was when she was five months old. And when I was in Las Vegas, away from Amelia, trying to pump on the road, trying to figure out how to store my breast milk, having a terrible experience with TSA on my way home, That entire week that I was gone, I just knew right then and there, if I'm going to be away from my kids, it's going to be on my own 
dime in my own decision, in my own accord. It was just so hard. Um, and there were so many things that impacted me personally being away. And then, you know, one thing, my breast milk never came back when I got home from that trip, but it, it truly was in that moment when I was gone from Amelia, that trip was in November. I resigned at the end of December. I knew right then and there that that career specifically for me, mm-hmm. it, it was not going to work for my life. The whole idea of needing to needing to work or needing to provide, needing to make an income versus this thing that seems really innate. And I wouldn't say that I'm a natural nurturer or like incredibly motherly. Like I wouldn't say that that comes as natural to me as it does some other women, but it's still, there is something in us when we produce these humans that it's this like catch 22. We want to go work and we want to do these things, but also like, we know that this huge job is parenthood, motherhood. And so I'm glad that that I didn't have to experience that. But I think that so many women that are listening do that they're stuck in that. And I guess I really don't know where I'm going with all of this, but just that that is a reality. And I wish that it wasn't, I don't know how to fight that, that most families need two incomes and that we have to, we live that way as a society. Yeah. It's, it's sad because going back to work, I wanted it like so many other women, you want this idea of having both mm-hmm. the career, the being an exceptional mother, And then do you have capacity and energy to be an exceptional wife and a friend and a sister? You know, there's a lot of pressure to just want to, one, I think we want to exceed at those things and excel, but at what cost? And I think for me, my mental health was suffering. I was finding it more and more challenging to do like very simple tasks. Like when I would get home from work, Mm -hmm. I hardly ever washed my face. I remember using my daughter's... (laughs) you know, baby wipes to like wipe off my makeup. And then that led in addition to stress to like severe perioral dermatitis. I was starting to have physical symptoms of Mm -hmm. stress and just being tired. And I was obviously stretching myself too thin. And I think when we're in the thick of it and we want this, we want both the career and motherhood and not to say that they can't exist Mm -hmm. for me personally, the job that I was doing, leading a a very visible team at my company that required extensive travel. And this isn't like a 24 hour trip to Dallas and back. This is a week overnight in a, in a different state, very far away. There was just no way I could do it. I wasn't doing any of it. Well, I wasn't showing up for my daughter. Well, I wasn't showing up for my husband. Mm-hmm. I probably, you know, socialize with my friends. And then when I was working and on the road, all I wanted to do was be home. So mm-hmm. I just, when I started to think about what is this costing me personally, I just knew it was time to, to do something different. Absolutely. And again, I don't have experience in the corporate world as a mom, but even with something like this podcast, for example, this is my main source of income. And right now it's through advertising. That's how I make money. So even though some people get irritated that there's advertising, it's like, well, I am producing this and I don't know how to commit my time to something if I'm not doing something to make a wage. Anyways, all that to say, some people, if I'm like, oh, this is my job or like, I'm a content creator, <laughs> that's, that's kind of embarrassing for me to say, but it's like, no, if I don't do this, I'm going to have to do something that's away from my kids. What do we expect for ourselves versus what does society expect for us versus what do I actually have to do to make 
a wage to contribute to my household. Right. Right. Yeah. It's overwhelming. (laughs) It's very overwhelming. And it's so different for every single person. Like for us, I want to make sure that I say, I know so many people who don't have a choice, Mm -hmm. you know, they have to go back to work. And in the beginning I did have to go back to work. But when I told my husband, I was like, here is what I'm experiencing. Um, you know, I started to have really bad postpartum depression. I started to see a therapist because I think we touched on this once, but just like the suicidal ideation where for me, I just could not see a way out of the situation that I was in. Mm -hmm. And I was so afraid to tell Scott because I didn't want him to worry about me. I never thought that I would hurt myself, Mm -hmm. but to have a thought in your mind. So when I went back to Rackspace, I had to commute from Austin to San Antonio, which was another complicated layer. But I remember driving on the freeway thinking, what would happen if I hit this car in front of me? Which is like so extreme and very scary to have that thought. And then to think, wait, well, I would actually never hit this car, but you get to a point where you can't see your way out of a situation. And it's not that I wanted out of being a wife or a mother. I just was like, everything that I was trying to do was just way too much. And I didn't know how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And so once I shared that thought with my husband, I mean, I think I saw a therapist the next day. And once he understood the degree of sort of like the depth of like sadness and depression that I was in trying to have this life that I really wanted for myself, but wasn't able to achieve, you know, we made sacrifices as a family, you know, there were things that we just went over with a fine tooth comb with our budget and cut things out. And it wasn't major, like we didn't have to sell our house or our cars, but there were just quite a few things that we changed. And then after that, you know, meeting, I basically resigned a couple months later because the health of me as Amelia's mother was certainly the priority. You know, if there's anyone in a situation that might have the opportunity to go through their finances with a fine tooth comb, if they need a break from working, I hope that is available to them. But I know a lot of people that it's not, and it's, it's very, very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Isn't it called intrusive thoughts? Have you heard of that? Intrusive, yeah, intrusive thoughts? thoughts, 100%. I had those constantly. I have those a lot in regards to my kids and their safety. We'll be on the playground and I'll have a thought of, oh my gosh, I can visualize Benjamin tumbling down that and dabbing his face on that sharp thing right there. I don't know. I just thought that was normal, but I guess that doesn't happen to a a lot of people. (laughs) No, it doesn't. And that happens to me all the time. And that's why I still see my therapist because your intrusive thoughts, I don't know if they go to the worst case scenario. Mine will start with, we plugged in like this CO2 um, detector in Amelia's room. And I, I literally said to Scott, well, before I said this crazy stream of consciousness out loud in my brain, I was like, oh my gosh, that's plugged in too close to her curtain. What if the curtain catches on fire? What if the fire moves towards her door? How do I get her out? Do I have something that could break her window? Like it goes from like A to Z really quick. (laughs) That is not normal. So I still see my therapist. Yeah. Yeah. I try to, I try to focus a lot on statistics and rationality because I know that when I think some of these things it's irrational and, or I've had experiences where my kids have gotten hurt and 
knock on wood, it usually it's, even if we have to go get stitches at the hospital, it's Mm -hmm. not a life or death situation. Again, knock on wood, not trying to minimize tragedies that happen in people's lives. But, um, yeah, I think that I have to just bring myself back to the moment and mindfulness has been really helpful in that regard. But yeah, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out where I want to go. Like what my main point is with, um, talking about all this, because I do, we've touched a little bit about like women in the workplace and feeling this pull and this contrary, like this, this tug of where our attention goes. And then also the reality that some women don't have a choice. I know a lot of them as well, that it's like, no, I have to go to work and I have to do this. I don't have the option for my husband to just provide. And I mean, again, we do live in a society that is pretty much structured at this point on two incomes, unless you're making over a certain amount as one spouse. So, okay. This, I guess this is what I want to get into. I think our society is also set up in a really cool way for entrepreneurship and or creating your own businesses, even if you're working with a partner or a teammate. And so, I mean, you and I are both doing that. And again, maybe there part, it was a touch of luck for both of us. We found a need and we found a niche and we moved at the right time. Timing is everything. Sure. But also I think that often we have these good ideas and we just don't act. And I don't know. What are your thoughts on all this? (laughs) I think that if people were given the resources and like the encouragement and they had the opportunity to act on an idea, this Mm -hmm. world would be incredible. And I feel like parents specifically, because they experience so many problems, I feel like they would be the best entrepreneurs and creators Mm -hmm. of all time. And so some of the people that I've met in this parenting space are solving their own problems. And I think those are the types of businesses that you want to exist, um, because they've experienced it firsthand. But like for me being an event career, my whole life, when I left Rackspace, I thought I was going to take time off just to like recover and, you know, focus on like my mental and physical health. Mm-hmm. But two weeks later I was enrolled in the entrepreneurial center of Austin. Mm-hmm. And if anyone's listening and they have, you know, they live in a major city, those entrepreneurial centers exist and they're free. So I signed up for these classes almost immediately. Cause I was like, where do I start? I didn't know. So my uncle who lives in Knoxville was like, look and see if Austin has an entrepreneurial center, go to their schedule and enroll in classes that seem interesting to you. And that was the first thing I did. Mm-hmm. And the book that we reviewed in the class that I was enrolled in was called, um, the lean startup. Mm-hmm. And there was like this little workshop that we did based on the teachings in this book. And I still have that original piece of paper and I haven't deviated too far from it. And that was two and a half years ago. And so that was the first thing I did. Cause I, I, I don't know what it takes to run a business. I'm two years into populist and I'm learning so much pretty much every single week, but there are a lot of resources for entrepreneurs. You're right. And it is such a ripe time, especially as like people are leaving the workforce and I don't know what that next step looks like for them, but with the you know, there's this concept called like no code. There's so many websites where you can stand up an idea or a website and you don't have to have basic coding skills or knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then there's resources like entrepreneurial centers, which I'm sure you can even access online. So I don't, I don't know what the specific question was, but there are resources. If someone is motivated just to start, that's where I started. And I would, if I could do it again, I would, I would do it the same way. Yeah, I think, okay. So I, I do want a point of these going deeper episodes. I do love to get to know you, but I also want to make sure that we are giving practical advice and thought to people or motivating women that are listening. Yeah. So I think that what I'm finding, 
what's kind of coming together in this conversation is the idea of you are working for a corporation. You were incredibly overwhelmed after motherhood because you couldn't do both things at your very best. And Mm -hmm. so you stepped away and came up with this idea for populist that is now, as you said, in the second or third year. Um, it's in our second year. July was our second anniversary. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, again, you went to school, maybe not everyone has the resources to go to school, but you came up with this idea that was just from, uh, again, a need in Mm -hmm. your town, your city, your state, your, the country, the world. I, so I think my encouragement and my wisdom to moms listening are that, it could be something as silly, not as silly. Like I cleaned houses in college. And so I worked for myself. I was actually working for someone else. And then I realized how much she took from my wages just because I was working for her company. So yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go do this on my own. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so cleaning houses, decluttering houses, maybe you could start a home childcare business with a friend or a couple of friends. I don't, I don't know. I think that the sky is the limit. And again, look at the need in your town and even something is silly. I don't know if I was going to say like an influencer in some ways. Like, I think if you're really into taking photos and you go around to a lot of places in your, in your town, you could just start and just get your hashtags going. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. Again, I feel like I just kind of got lucky with minimalist moms, but I think that there are ways out there to be creative that you don't need a ton of resources. Etsy. I mean, I have a friend Esty that paints and sells her paintings on Etsy and and she does an amazing work. And that's just a little way that she can make income. And I'm not saying you're going to become a millionaire, but it's a way that you can help contribute without having to be completely overwhelmed by the pressures of a corporate job or something that is taking. And if it's something that you enjoy, but doesn't bring you a lot of money, the fact that you're still creating and you have this sense of freedom, mm-hmm. I mean, it's also worth it. Like you're right though. I'm going to, um, next Sunday, uh, a friend of mine has a friend who has started making jewelry okay. and she's hosting a party for her at her house. And it's like beveled metal, you know, like, you know, those like chain bracelets that are really popular right now. And she, she can engrave like little plates on the bracelets and stuff. So she's going to host all her girlfriends over and this girl's going to make jewelry for everyone. And I assume we're going to buy it, uh-huh. but even something like that, you know, my next door neighbor, her son's old elementary school teacher quit teaching and she started to pursue her passion of photography. And I asked my neighbor, I was like, do you know any photographers? We want to do family photos. And she connected me with this girl named Courtney. Mm-hmm. And now I've rehired her multiple times. I've referred her to all my friends and now she's doing some product photos for populist. So I think mm-hmm. someone is in a position to pursue something that is new and scary, but also exciting and they can do it. They absolutely have to, like, there is no downside. Like, even if you try to start your own side business or lifestyle business, or if you want to be a content creator, I mean, this, the opportunities are literally endless with social media. And if it doesn't work out, we're so much better for it. The stuff I've had to teach myself with populist, I know I will be a viable candidate for going back to corporate if I have to, Oh, absolutely. Um, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just. There's no downside. It's very scary doing something new, but I just tell myself there is no downside. And then the one thing I also share with people is one of my favorite episodes of how I built this podcast was Emily Weiss, the founder of Glossier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're like, oh, there's so many people that make bracelets or there's so many photographers in my town. I mean, whatever sort of imposter syndrome story you tell yourself, 
she, her point was, you know, when you open up your makeup bag, there is not one brand of makeup that you use for everything. Like your eyeliner and your lip gloss and your foundation and your sunscreen, they're likely all different brands. So her point was there's enough room for all of us. And I remind myself of that all the time. Like, you know, I have a baby registry platform. We are up against major sharks, Mm -hmm. but there are enough families and enough people having children that want what we are building. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just have to remind myself that every time I get discouraged. So whatever someone is interested in pursuing, there is 100% enough room for them to succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking of something as silly as um, my cousin. She walks dogs in her community <laughs> and she actually makes a pretty good amount of money doing that. And she's I getting bet. exercise and she listens to books on tape while she does that. And that might not be, I mean, she's an, she loves dogs. So she's thriving right now <laughs> with what she's doing. But I mean, I think again, thinking outside the box and absolutely there's room for everyone. I mean, there are so many minimalist podcasts and some people love me. Some people hate me, but it's just really, (laughs) if you're authentic to yourself, that people will come. And if they don't, then that's okay. Take what you've learned and go to the next thing. And I think, I, I don't know. I think we have to get better at not feeling so negative about things not working out or not being a success. Cause I can do that. I do that all the time with minimalist moms. I'll look at other people's content that they're creating for Instagram, or I'll look at downloads for other people, or I'll look at my book and be like, Oh, it didn't do as well as like, I can get so down on the things that I haven't done as good at when I need to just flip that and be like, wait, this is also what you've done. And I'm sure the same with populist, like the fact that it exists, like you said, with these other huge platforms, but it's still succeeding. You just went into your second year or you had your second birthday. That's incredible. And I'm sure you've learned things to not do and you see what your next goal is. And if it weren't thriving, then that's okay because you just pivot. Like, I think that we have to be okay with the pivot. We have to be okay that some things don't work out and other things do. It's just yeah, a perspective. For sure. I think we have to be okay with the pivot. And I think in a society where things are so instant, we also have to be okay with, it's really rare that it's going to be an overnight success. So like yeah. you need to carve out the time and effort and consistency to just keep at it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, it took us a year and a half to launch the actual registry platform but we've been technically building it for almost two years. And that's different because it's a software. Mm -hmm. But even if you want to have your own cleaning business or you want to make your own jewelry or you want to start a podcast, just the consistency and like building like this sort of like compound effect and success will come, but Mm -hmm. it's most likely not going to be immediate. And that's okay too. Just because you don't have a customer in your first week of launching something, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you won't have one. We just have to keep at it. Well, and then I do want to say there might be someone listening and they are in the position where maybe they are working for a corporate job or they're working a nine to five and they hate it, but they are in the position where they could financially step away from that, but they're just scared to only, only quote unquote, be a mom. And that is totally fine too. Yeah. If someone has the opportunity to leave their career and they want to be a full-time mom, when will they have the opportunity to do it again? Like, I just look at my kids and I'm like, oh my God, they're growing and changing so fast, Mm -hmm. but I'm so grateful that I've built Populous in a way that allows me to 
press pause and I can go pick up my kids early from school or I'm keeping Zoe home Tuesday and Thursdays. You know what I mean? Like we can create whatever life we're looking for, even if we don't have a lot of resources. And I just want to encourage anyone if they have the opportunity to do something new with the support and resources behind them, they've just got to do it. And they shouldn't, I'm telling you, don't care what anyone thinks because it's your life. And we literally get one shot. Do not be consumed with anyone else's opinions because they just don't matter. Before we wrap up this conversation, I do want to touch on just what we talked about in February. So at that point in time, a lot of areas were still pretty highly regulated at that point. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember when we recorded, but obviously things are different now. I don't know what it's going to look like going into the fall and winter season and difference. It probably depends on where you live, but all that to say, what you guys were seeing with Populist is that baby registries and how people host baby showers that was changing. And I think even outside of a virus that we could catch, it was more based upon, I think people were seeing what matters and like where their values lie. So I guess I'll let you just have the last word with what you're seeing in regards to baby showers right now. Yeah. So what we're seeing with baby showers and what we're hearing from our customers is they're becoming centered less around gifts and more about support. So with populist, The unique thing is that if someone were to purchase a gift off your registry, they can't actually send it to themselves, which means they're not bringing a gift to your baby shower if you don't have gifts. Well, we've seen some really unique examples, like a woman that registered with us, her name is Shannon. Uh, She had all the gifts obviously sent directly to her home. This allowed her to set up her nursery. So when she had the baby shower at her house, she actually walked all of the guests through the nursery and pointed out like, Hey, you know, Aunt Terry, this is the swaddle that you bought me. And so she was able to show everyone how she set up their gift and how she intends to use it. And people loved it. They felt really connected. And I think they really appreciated, according to Shannon, to see how she was going to use the gift that they purchased her. So, and then I'm seeing so many more people do blessing ways where the women at the shower write supportive notes or they do a blessing for the mom. So What we're seeing to your point is people really value time right now, since we got so much of it was taken away from us during COVID that gifts aren't the most important thing. I think connection with people is, and that's what we're seeing change for baby showers. So similar to weddings, uh, we believe that people won't be bringing gifts anymore. They'll still be purchasing them, but it will not be centered around someone opening 25 gifts in front of their guests. It will be about support. And, um, maybe at the baby shower, we are doing a stuff, the fridge or freezer party and everyone brings a a pre-made frozen meal. And that's one tangible way to support a new mom. So we're really excited about that. I think it's really special and unique and it's been a long time coming. And of course we are a registry business. So people are still purchasing gifts, but that's not how those baby showers are being posted anymore. Of course, still some, but the trend that we're seeing, like I said, is they're going to be centered around support and utility and less around gifts. Yeah, absolutely. I love the idea of someone coming to my house or multiple people coming to my house and filling up my fridge and freezer before having a baby. (laughs) Yeah. We actually had someone, um, some, another registry mom that 
worked with Populist, she had like this lactation tea station set up. So um, the guests at the baby shower, basically they all made teas and, you know, it was one way that they could support the mom. So there's still like things happening at a shower, but there are ways that every guest can just support you in a tangible way. Mm -hmm. When I had my shower with Charlotte, I think opening the gifts is so, I just feel so awkward opening up gifts in front of people. I'm like, oh, (laughs) if I don't respond the way that I should, this could be weird. I know. And you need to give every gift equal weight of excitement. (laughs) It's definitely awkward. (laughs) Yeah. And especially like as a minimalist and I was then as well, it's hard to hide your facial expressions. I've gotten better at it. I've gotten better at it, but it's just (laughs) the enthusiasm is sometimes not there. And then totally, but yeah, well, I didn't want to let you go before having that, just your perspective and what you're seeing right now. Cause I think it's important to focus on the way that things are changing and what people are valuing. And I think you're right. People lost out on time and that's something that there's no way to replace the time. So it's just shifting gears and what is most important and how we can kind of make the most of our time. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thanks for joining me. I hope that this was encouraging to listeners. I feel like you've encouraged me even just in this little chat we had. <laughs> well, thank you, Diane. It's always so fun to talk to you and, you know, to share some words of wisdom with your listeners. So always honored that you, you know, want to have a conversation with me. So thank you. What did you think of the episode? If you enjoyed this conversation, I want to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. Leaving a rating and review is the best way you can help this podcast continue to succeed and grow. Again, thank you to everyone who supports The Minimalist Moms by listening, leaving those rating and reviews, or following along on social media at Minimalist Moms Podcast. As always, I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com, and there you can find links to the Instagram account, my Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.